The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. about to hear could possibly be the most important episode we've ever recorded here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast today's guest is author simon shack who presents a new interpretation of our solar system though many curious minded people before him have contributed with clues towards this groundbreaking understanding he is an independent researcher with no ties or affiliation with any entity whatsoever has conducted this five-year-long study in perfect solitude on zero budget. He's joined by computer wizard Patrick Holmquist, who designed the Tychosium model that helps us visualize exactly what is going on in our skies. I'm Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and enjoy this episode with Simon Shack and Patrick Holmquist. Be sure to sign up on Patreon or Rockfin to see the video interview. This episode may be one of the few interviews I encourage everyone to check out the video because it is necessary to understanding this. If you refuse to do so, well, go over to tycos.space. So as Patrick and Simon explain their Tychosium model, you can see it for yourself. That instead, the NASA, as it was established in 1958, is just a Hollywood department. They have never done what they they say they do, and it's it's a big show. And as long as you believe in NASA, you will not you will not you will not look at the Tychos as as anything serious. Of course, I understand. Mm. But yeah. I I'm on, on the opposite side of this. I'm saying that if you if you only understand that NASA is a huge television show that's been going on for 
you know more than half a century then you 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 can open your mind towards seeing that yes the solar system can be different from what you have been taught in school so we really need to make it you know to shake us you know shake our brains now we can't we can't just follow this propaganda we have seen how much propaganda the powers that be are throwing at us and it's time to wake up i hate this word but it's time to wake up do you guys <laughs> you guys i mean all americans know who was the first um, administrator of nasa in 1958 it was a guy called t keith glennon t keith glennon what was his curriculum what did he do before becoming the the boss of nasa the first director of nasa well he was the studio director of paramount studios and goldwyn mayer he came from the movie industry and became the first administrator of nasa look him up t yeah. keith glennon yeah. what a what a perfect person to start a department that just makes pictures of the wonderful conquest of space and Walt Disney was involved as you all know Walt Disney and and you know the German yeah. Werner von Braun you know Werner von Braun the guy who supposedly invented the rockets who, which went up to space he was a very good chum of Walt Disney those things are now up you know it's it's all for for everyone to see why would we believe in these guys and why would we even believe in this other guy who was a friend of theirs you know the van allen van allen van allen yeah the van allen radiation van, van guy the van which which gave the name to the van allen belt he was also a friend of Walt Disney and Werner von Braun and but he came up with this with the story that oh the van allen belt exists so it would be impossible for any spacecraft to cross that belt you know so they, they they play both sides they have van allen is has been used by people who don't believe in the moon landings because he said that there is a van allen belt with a huge radiation which would kill anyone going through it so they had this guy which was friends we were good friend he was he was, he was a chum of Walt Disney and whenever around but Van Allen, Van Allen is is always cited as uh, his Van Allen belt proves that we never went to the moon so you see how intricate they do these stories they I would say that Tico Brewer was a honest man he, he he yeah he happened to be also kind of descendant of royal families but but he did he spent his life watching the stars and that's 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 indisputable he is indisputable he he, yeah, really he was a meticulous meticulous or what's the a scientist i mean he spent decade meticulously observing the the planets and their motions and, and he from... was probably killed by kepler he was probably poisoned by kepler ladies and gentlemen welcome to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast here with me are two first time guests two incredibly groundbreaking i'll say 
in the realms of astronomy, in the realms of mythology, in the realms of history and science in general. We're going to be diving into all these subjects with two gentlemen. I'd like to introduce Simon Shack and Patrick Holm. Holmvik? Holmquist. Holmquist. Thank you, Patrick. And these two gentlemen are pushing forward a model that I don't want to say it's new because there is a gentleman who we'll discuss today named Tycho Brahe who pushed this theory forward hundreds of years ago. And they've sort of resurrected it and shown and demonstrated with their model how this may be the proper understanding of our solar system at the very least and maybe we can extrapolate that to understand more about the the rest of the universe around us but before we get to all that mr simon shack patrick please introduce yourselves for our audience all right shall i start i'm i'm simon shack and i've been um, researching uh, this uh, this model since maybe decade now and the first book I, I made came out in 2018 that's four years ago and as you said it's based on Tycho Brahe's uh, geoheliocentric system which was the most people don't know but it was for at least almost a century it was the um, generally accepted system uh, when he died, he died prematurely uh, in 1601. Um, his assistant, Longo Montanus, was his trusty assistant. He made a big book called the Astronomia Danica, which kind of summarized all of Tycho Brahe's observations he had done for his whole life and um, introduced one more thing that Tycho Brahe didn't have in his own modeled, and that was the daily rotation of Earth. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> so uh, what is important to know is that this wasn't, you know, this is this was a very, this was the uh, the accepted model for at least a century, as I, as I said. So it's not something, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not something new. Uh, it was just uh, wiped away uh gradually by the copernican theory and uh because the copernicus copernican theory was um was uh came out before tycho brahe's model but it took a long time to be accepted because it's it had this uh, amazing radical changes in in what how astronomers had had thought for thousands of years and what had they thought for thousands of years? They had said all the astronomers in, in the last millennia were, were saying that logically our Earth is in the middle of our system. That doesn't mean it's the middle of the universe. It just means the, the sun is going around us. But then came Copernicus in the 15th, 16th century and came up with this new idea that it was the Earth instead that was going around the sun. And that's what we are believing now, isn't it? Mm. That's what we all learn in school. Right. And uh, yeah. somehow, somehow that was uh, accepted in the end. But uh, for young people, they should know that we, this was a radical thing. It was a very strange idea that we would be going at, uh, I mean, we should be going at 100,000 kilometers an hour around the sun right now. 
that's the that's what we're learning right. in school. Hmm. Right. Yeah, right. Because we will get into that further on, Simon. Right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, this uh, is fascinating. Yeah. Thank you, Simon. And, and Patrick, you helped create uh, the visual model. How did you and Simon come together and, and tell us about your expertise? Because I feel like, you know, we all owe you a, a great gratitude for putting this together and being able to represent it visually. Yeah, th thank you, Mark. Yes, uh, my name is Patrick Holmqvist. I, I live in, in Gothenburg, Sweden, and... Um, Around uh, 2016, I I started to understand that things aren't uh, as we perceive from media in the world, and and there was a, a particular event I I uh, discovered uh, September 11. So so I investigated that and tried to find out the actual. Uh, what what actually happened, and and one thing led to another, and I uh, found uh, a video that Simon Shack had made called uh, September Clues, that uh, is uh, to me the only rational, believable uh, theory around that event. So, and that led to me uh, contacting uh, Simon and. Um, uh, we became friends, and he he came over here and did a, a presentation of his uh, September Clues research, uh, and then he started talking about uh, you know astronomy, <laughs> and I went, well, yeah, well, uh, that you know about something about uh, something wrong in astronomy. I, I I didn't know much about astronomy at the time, but uh, I, I listened to him and I got a draft of Simon's first book. So um, I started reading it, and it made a, a, a lot of sense. And since I uh, since I'm a, a developer, a programmer, I thought it would be uh, a very good thing to do, you know to do a, a simulation of this model he suggested. So we started working together and and uh, uh, that became what what now is uh, Tychosium 3D. And I mean, it's, it may sound pretentious, but anyone who likes to challenge it is welcome because this is the first uh, model simulation of our solar system that actually works geometrically. And I can show and explain why that is, but that is the case. Right. And what do I mean by that? It agrees with all observations of where the stars and the planets should be. Right. And this cannot be demonstrated with a, a heliocentric model. It doesn't work, but we, we get into that later. So I've been working... Uh, with Simon and and this uh, and and his work and this um, simulation for uh, yeah about four years now we no yeah uh, yeah four years we I think we we really started working for real together around 2017 or 2018 yeah so yeah and well, we started I started with a, a, a two dimensional simulation you know from and then uh, it it later became uh, Tychosium, and and I'm now working on a, another more improved 
version as well. So it's it's continuous work. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's fascinating. So, now, something about me that you both wouldn't know is I live about an hour's drive away from New York City. So when 9-11 happened, I was just a little guy in, you know, first grade, in grade school. And they, I remember they took us into the library and sat us in front of the television so that we could watch this event go down. And I'm I'm not sure if that happened in other countries, but, you know, here in the United States, it happened across every, all the 50 states kids had to do this. And, mm-hmm. of course, being, you know, only an hour away, it was extra scary for us over here thinking, oh, what's going to happen next? Are they going to come for us next? Who knows? Right. And, and then mm-hmm. being so young that all radically shifted for me as I started to learn more and see like, oh, wow, no, this was set up by our own government uh, as, a, as a way to justify this war in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. And I mean, this is obviously a tangent that we don't need to go down, but I find it really uh, synchronistic that you two folks all the way from Europe uh, united over this monumental, I mean, world-changing event. 9-11, I'm sure, had effects on your lives in Europe as well. So mm-hmm. um, I won't uh, underestimate it because, yeah, it is quite a, a gravitational thing, and, and we all got pulled together. So fascinating. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, for folks at home, this model that we're talking about, we can access it for free at tycosium.space. Is that correct? It's tycosium.space? Uh, no, uh, tycos.space. Tycos yeah, is the model and tycosium is the, the simulator. Got it. So yeah. I, I say that because while folks are listening, if you're listening at home, you're sitting down, uh, go to tycos, T-Y-C-H-O-S dot space and look at this model while we're talking. It may be helpful to have the visual representation uh, concurrently with the conversation. And for folks watching on the visual end, we'll share our screen uh, at some point throughout this conversation and, and demonstrate. Because, you know, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a scientist. When I went to Tycho.Space, I had a little bit of a hard time understanding what exactly I was you know, playing with as far as like the, you know, different uh, adjustments you can make to the model. So we may need an explanation for that. Um, Would you like to start there? Maybe we can talk a little bit about how this model um, in this simulation work. Uh, Well, I would just say that the Tychosium is, is first of all, I would say, and that's uh, praising Patrick's skills, that it's the most user-friendly a simulator of our solar system that I know of. I've, you know, I've been obviously looking at all kinds of online simulators of the Copernican system, which is, we call it the Copernican, the halocentric is that it's also called the Copernican, right? The one we learn in school. And, and okay, here it is. Um, uh, did you open it? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I went ahead here and sh- shared my screen. Oh, oh great. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. So this is this is it. This is the the configuration of the Tycho's model, which is now simulated in this uh, machine. And uh, what is what needs to be understood is that it's it's actually 
It's it's not so complicated. It might seem so at first glance, but the, the fact is that what we need to understand firstly is that the Sun and Mars are two binary companions. And what does that mean? Well, it means that they are like, they are just like all the stars in our skies. And why do I say all the stars? Well, it's it's at least 90% now. We know, we have, we have learned that in later years that all the stars have a companion. So that's, that's called a binary system. A large star and a smaller object dancing around each other in intersecting orbits. So if you see here, now we start, yeah, thank you, Patrick. Patrick started the, the motion. And of course, the big yellow dot is the sun. And the red uh, circle is is a Mars orbits, and uh, it might take some time to visualize just why they are companions. But we will see that maybe we could go faster, so we can see that they are actually Mars is uh, the only object which will come right now. See on the opposite side of the sun from the Earth. So the Earth is in the middle with this with the moon. Uh, spinning around it. This is incredible. So I I should correct myself earlier when I said it mm-hmm. was difficult to use. I I wasn't you know uh, looking at this thinking oh I should look at it from a bird's eye view perspective. I I think I had the perspective uh, somewhere like you know looking at the broad side of the Earth and the oh, Sun. Yeah. So you it was a little it, it was hard to see the movement. But now that we're oriented like from the top down. Right, it's it's moving like a like the gears of a clock almost. This is fascinating. Yes, yes, it is indeed a, an incredible mm-hmm. clockwork. And now, and, now uh, I uh, started mm-hmm. the, the trace function that is also very helpful. Right. So uh, and it's it's default on on Mars, so we can see this uh, uh, beautiful wow. retrogrades retrogrades that that Mars does. Wow, so Mars is not moving. For folks listening at home, Mars is not moving in a complete perfect circle. It takes this really interesting, uh, you called it a retrograde movement, and it, it makes this like, you know, little uh, B shape almost, like the letter, English letter B, where the, you know, kind of cursive. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is... It does a pretzel. Yeah, that's much <laughs> like better. Like a pretzel, yeah. mm. absolutely. And the reason why it does it is, is is there's nothing magical about it. It's just the the natural consequence of Mars being, you have to imagine it's being attached magnetically to the sun and, and still... But it always goes... It actually goes... You see the 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 round circle that Mars has is the actual, you know, long time trajectory of Mars. It only ever goes in a circle, but since it circles around the Sun, which also revolves, it will do this pretzel that is doing now. Look, now it, it will go backwards, but that's just a geometric. It's called a trochoid. It's right. a natural ge- geometric pattern which, you know, you can even reproduce it just by putting a, a light on your bike wheel, on your bicycle wheel, and you put a light on your bicycle wheel, and then you, you go forward, and you film it at night, and you will see that, that light's doing these things. Right. Because, you see, it's, it's, 
is uh, you have to put that light on the you know on, on the on the side of your wheel, and then you will see it doing this because it's a it's a troquid, and it's, it's nothing it's nothing magic or, or strange. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly magical to see for someone who has been indoctrinated into the false astronomy right i mean mm -hmm. to to look at this is really mind-blowing when in school you get this impression that you know mm -hmm. everything's kind of like a, f a fixed plate you know mm -hmm. just spinning yeah. in place yeah so the basically uh, what what people must remember from school is that uh, i don't know if you i i wasn't even taught that in school that all planets periodically go backwards i didn't know that you know when i was a kid uh, I never had that <laughs> lesson in school, but I learned it when I was older. That mm. for some strange reason, these planets go backwards, and um, it's explained in the Copernican system in a in a in a, in a weird way. It's well, it's it's supposed to 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 be correct, but it isn't. As I show in my book, it's not possible to be the way they say because. Mars can come sometimes closer to us and sometimes further when it does this pretzel. And uh, the the amount of retrograde should be <laughs> the other way around. It should be exactly the opposite uh, uh, as the opposite as what we see. So the uh, Copernican explanation for the retrograde is geometrically impossible. It's uh, you know it's uh, it it's it violates the laws of perspective. Right. Uh, in, in reality, the dreadful rays are, are caused by this, what we're looking at now, by this um, geometric uh, pattern. And um, so physically, yeah, from our perspective from Earth, we will see Mars going backwards for 72 days on average. Sometimes for 42, sometimes for, for 80 days, 82, but on average 72. And now what is this period that it, it's very close to us? How, how long does this last? And can we s observe maybe a brighter Mars in the sky when it makes that sort of uh, oh, path yeah. towards yeah. us? It will, it will be much brighter when it gets close to us, you know, on, the, on that uh, close part of, of, of these pretzels. And you see the pretzel on, on to the right there. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, Patrick, you can point your, yeah, point pretzel your to the, mouse. To the right, this one. or Yeah, that's the closest one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the closest one. The closest passage. One of these uh, pretzels, uh, as close as this, happened in 2003. And uh, then Mars was like 56 million kilometers from us. And you see that it's it's very short. It's a short retrograde. It's a thin. You see the pretzel is thin here. Right. Whereas on the exact opposite side, it's much bigger. Right. It's uh, much as, as Patrick shows now with his mouse. Mm -hmm. On the exact opposite side, Patrick. Now, uh, uh, much there, this one. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest, right? There is a... <laughs> An, an eight-year difference between these two, the bigger and the large one, 8.5. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Well, that's what, what what I was saying before that this is would be absolutely impossible in the Copernican model, because the it would be inverted. The 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 width of this pretzel should be inverted in the Copernican system. It's a bit hard to explain right now, but uh, it's it's you know it's it's slam dunk proof that we can we must uh, we must discard the Copernican uh, mm. theory for the retrograde motions. Right, and it is, it's so fascinating to learn that, that Tycho's theory was accepted and then the Copernican theory sort of usurped that. Now, you mentioned the yes. binary nature of our solar system, and for me, you know, one of, the, one of the big indicators when I was younger that this world is a lot weirder than they tell us was the story from the Dogon people, which I'm sure you're familiar with, of, oh, yeah. of their mythology and their astronomy and knowledge. They, they identified Sirius as a binary star way before mm. the telescope was even invented. So oh, yes. I've heard you mention this in previous conversations. There are, there are not just binary star systems, correct? Like Sirius might even be a trinary star system with me- multiple different bodies uh with this sort of relationship can you explain no no let me let me let me clarify please now all i've I've been saying is that there might be a third object in the in the serious binary system the serious binary system is composed of two objects and uh, as it happens uh the large object which is called series a has a certain dimension right it's it's supposed to be 1.7 times larger than the sun but the smaller object which is really really small called series b is 1.7 times the size of mars so the two are proportionally identical series a and series b are proportional proportionally identical to to the sun and mars and what the Dogon people were also saying, incredibly enough, they, they said, well, there is also a third uh, element there in that, um, in that binary system of Sirius. And I'm suggesting that is the twin of Earth. Mm, wow. See? And, so and it's, not a third, it's not a third element of the binary system. And it's this just is, that this Sirius the... might be a twin system of our solar system. Wow. Okay. And this is the... Now I'm understanding geoaxial binary, right? Because we have the Earth as this axis point between the two binary uh, yeah. bodies. Okay, wow. Oh, that's an excellent page. Thank you, Patrick. Here is where I compare, you know, uh, Sirius is, is the biggest star in the skies. It's absolutely the largest by far. The, the second uh, uh, biggest star is, is almost half of that of Sirius. So Sirius is really the biggest star we have. And that has been, you know, the Egyptians use it to, to d- decide when the year would start, you know, and it, was very, it has been important for many, many cultures. Sirius is an incredibly important star, but we all almost never hear about it, do we? But, uh, well, most people know about it, but no one has ever said that the serious pair A and B are proportionally identical uh, as the Sun and Mars. This, this was my little discovery at the beginning of my, of my journey, of my research journey. I just went to Wikipedia and I, I, I said, 
let me see what how what's the diameter of series A and what's the diameter of series B. And I just did the you know simple calculation, and it turned out that series A is 205 times bigger than series B, and the sun is 205 times larger than Mars. Wow. And I said, wow, that's a pretty amazing coincidence. So that started me also, you know, go dig, digging deeper into the series system. And, and in my new book, I'm speculating because I can only speculate, but there are so many things that indicates that series, the whole system might be in turn a binary system of our solar system. So it's a double binary. And that's not something new. We know of many stars in our sky, like two pairs of stars that revolve around each other. Both are binaries themselves, but they also revolve around each other. So that's called a double-double system. And there are many examples of that uh, that astronomers know of. There's no controversy. We we know that there are many double-double systems. So I'm proposing in my new book that Sirius, the Sirius system, is our binary system uh, companion. You see what I mean? It's two plus two, two, uh, because it's always two. Of course, the, then you have to count Earth, like a third uh, object, and maybe series C in middle of series A and, 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 and uh, a, a and B, there could be series C. But the problem is that series C has never been, it's not uh, visible in any telescopes. It has never been observed. But why would that be? Well, simply because it's too close to the big star. So it's, it's lost in the glare. Mm. So that's why no one has actually confirmed right. the existence of Sirius C, but a but, uh, 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 quite modern study, a uh, French study, has, you know, with, with, with modern uh, techniques, they, they, they say that it's very, very likely that there is this Sirius C. You know, they use, they use uh, state-of-the-art uh, 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 detectors to, to to see if there is something moving there inside, and, and they they conclude in their long paper that yes, Series C probably exists. So yeah, let's 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 close this parenthesis about Sirius, but it's it's an important parenthesis. Yeah. Um, yes, the, it is, and and yeah. I think it's you know this uh, uh, Dogon. Uh, the Dogon tribe and 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 their knowledge uh, about uh, Sirius, I also find fascinating. What, what I uh, find fascinating as well is is that you know you have a hypothesis. I mean, it's it's hard to <laughs> verify, <laughs> but there is a hypothesis. You, you have that, uh, as you say, uh, the solar system and the Sirius system. They are are um, uh, binary twin system so so mm. they orbit each other's yeah. that w- that uh, could mean that in a very long time ago uh, Sirius, the Sirius system was much closer to the solar system than it is today can you scroll down Patrick scroll that down would, to the end. that that would explain uh, why uh, oh sorry i lost my track uh, go ahead hey. simon can you just scroll down this paper? Yeah, sure. I'll scroll down. Because you're talking about, to illustrate what you're talking about. To illustrate what you're talking about, you need to scroll down to the end of this. Oh, um, yeah. 
So mm. w- what I was trying to say is that that would give an explanation as to why the Dogon people could see the stars because they were closer. I mean, they uh, reasonably they didn't have access to telescopes, right. but they could see these stars with the naked eye, the right. serious stars, because they were much closer a very long time ago. Um, at the bottom of this page, I illustrate this. <clears throat> yeah, let's see that. And it, it's definitely... You know, we we have this sort of uh, here. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Okay, and tell us what we're looking at here. What what is this legend down at the bottom? Okay, so this is uh, my hypothesis. Okay, it's uh, so we see here um, our solar system today. You see, it's blue type. Our solar system today, Mm -hmm. and on the other side, the Sirius system today, and they are actually, you know, they, we are we are uh, we are observing the Sirius system to go downwards, like they they are observing it. The astronomers are observing it going, you know, from left to right downwards, as you see on this right hand side of the, uh, the picture. So that's that that matches what we observe, the actual movements of the Sirius system, and. Um, so this is what we are, uh, how far we are from Sirius today, but in um, in sixty thousand years, we will be going <coughs> around, uh, you know, we will go around our own orbits. I mean, we we would be the blue ring here. Maybe Patrick can put his um, uh, there. That's our solar system, and. Just go up now and show, you know, 60,000 years movement. In 60,000 years, we'll be there, and the Sirius system will be much closer to us. So that might explain why it's doggone. Maybe they, they, since it was so much closer, actually saw much better how the Sirius system was composed, you know, how they could see it without right. telescopes maybe. Right, and, and um, this this is very interesting because I think most people, when they hear the word like North Star, they assume it's a fixed point, that it would not change. But this, it seems to suggest that the South Pole Star will be different in 60,000 years. Is that, that's due the to... The South Pole Star is, um, has been calculated by a very, very, uh, very uh, famous astronomer it uh, that Sirius will become a south pole star in 60,000 years and that's why I made this tentative graphic mm. I'm, I'm I'm trying to you know to actually I would like to talk to to this man um, uh, what's his name now uh, I think it's his Dutch um, it's in the text here. Um, yeah, this uh, great astronomer, he has calculated, you know, with their own calculations. I mean, the calculation that they do in the aerocentric system can also work for our system. Uh, you will have to understand that uh, it's not like we are, you know, turning around everything. So um, this uh, astronomer is saying that in 60,000 years' time, we, we will have Sirius as our South Pole star. Okay. I mean, the, the pole stars change all the time. Now we have, as a North Pole star, we have Polaris, okay? But it is calculated that we will have 
it's it, that in 12,000 years we will have Vega, which is another big star in our skies. And that will be when we have done half a turn of our own the Earth's orbits, which is my main contribution to Tycho Brahe's model. It's something that we have to also look at another graphic to understand. But, um, yeah, the, yeah, can enlarge this maybe, Patrick, and show the PVP orbits. The PVP orbit, I call it this way because well, now we are under Polaris today, in this century, we are under Polaris, and and we are moving very slowly from left to right here at 1.6 kilometers an hour. That's one mile per hour. That's the speed of Earth in space, one mile, one mile per hour. And so it will take us 12,000 years to do half of this PVP orbit. And when we will be on the other side, on this other half, we will be under Vega, which is another big star in our sky. So, so I, adding, I call it P, PVP. Yeah, I'm adding uh, 10,000 years out now to the date here, so we can see how where the Earth. Earth will be then. So, yeah. So, so the Earth is slowly moving in its uh, PVP orbit as the center of the solar system, while the solar system is uh, orbiting around Earth. Mm. Right. And uh, this works perfectly with the observations because, as Simon suggests, this is the cause of the precession because our relation to the stars are changing slightly uh, every year. Got it. Now, but our relation to the planets does not change with the precession. Now, this exactly. is the explanation because they are moving exactly. together with us. Mm. So, so you you could say that the PVP orbit is kind of a virtual orbit because it is the consequence of our whole system processing, not precessing, but processing. It is going clockwise around, and uh, you know, further along in our research, we will probably get to the conclusion that if if it's true that we run run serious, this rotation is a consequence of the whole system, the, our whole solar system, also doing loops around Sirius. You see, so so, well, shocoidal motions. So um, this has will be implemented maybe you know <laughs> three years time in the in the Tychosium five point zero, but. Uh, at this moment, everything works incredibly well. I mean, we, we can see in this Tychosium simulator, everything matches. I mean, every alignment of Mars with a certain star or Venus with a certain star. The, 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 difference, the, the difference with this Tychosium um, with, with respect to Copernican simulators is it, it, that it actually matches the alignments of our planets with the stars. And that does not work all the time in the Copernican simulators. They no. will be wrong. 
Now, is this, will be wrong. is this something that they're willing to just chalk up to error or are they f fudging <laughs> numbers? I mean, do they, do they, you know, just sort of think that they're fallible? I mean, how, how did they rationalize this, especially it, it, considering that the Tycho model has been around longer and it's more accurate? What, how do they rationalize still the Copernican model? They rationalize in uh, hyphens, <laughs> rationalize this by saying that the stars are so incredibly far away mm. that it doesn't matter if we have this uh, orbit around the sun, which, which would be 300 million kilometers wide. But if we were going around the sun in, a, in an orbit, which is 300 million kilometers, kilometers wide every year, that means that every six months, we will be displaced by 300 million kilometers from one side to the other. And then we should see, we should be able to see easily parallax between the closer stars and the farther stars. But we don't see that. We see very, very small parallaxes. I mean, this, the closer stars move very little against the further stars, extremely little. Mm. And, and why and, and do they do that? Yep. Let me finish. Uh, why do they do that? Because every year we do move a little. We do move. The Earth moves at one mile per hour. So in one year, we'll do 14,000 kilometers. 14,036 kilometers. 14,000. So we are, we are actually moving every six months by 7,000 kilometers. You know, that's half 14,000. And it is this 7,000 kilometers that that makes us see some parallax of the, of the closest stars, but very, very little. Mm. Now, what is 7,000 kilometers? 7,000 kilometers is 42,600 times less than 300 million. And that's why in my book, uh, and further on in my book, I have a, um, a chapter called uh, All the Stars Much Further Than We Believe. I am saying that the stars are 42,600 times closer than believed. Right. That, 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 is, that makes lots of sense because the stars, as the, 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 the distance of the stars that they are telling us are absolutely absurd. Mm. They are absurd in so many ways. Now, you, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to see them. Can I offer, so a, many. Can I offer a, a comparison, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but... What we're suggesting is like the Copernican model is like the, the ride at the amusement park where you're on the swings and you're swinging really fast in this orbit around the center point, right? And they say, oh, the sun's right there. Whereas this model yeah. is more like a carousel that we're all on that's moving down a road with another, with the sun sort of following and orbiting, right? So we're, we're sort of like... We're spinning, but we're also moving slowly in one straight direction. Yeah, yes. slowly is the key. Very slowly, one point six uh, kilometers per hour, or or one one uh, mile per hour walking pace. In we are we the Earth is moving at walking pace, strolling pace in in uh, in space, and and that is in accordance what we can observe. Because, as, as Simon mentioned here, we, we, we don't see uh, uh, a, a very minute parallax, a very 
slight, slight motion of the of, of yearly parallax, and then we have the the precession, of course, as well. But this uh, uh, yearly stellar parallax that they the Copernicans put forward as an an uh, confirmation uh, of the heliocentric system it's no such thing it's actually a confirmation that <laughs> that uh, the heliocentric system doesn't work and uh, simon explains that brilliantly in his book and he also explains uh, why this parallax occurs and and, um, and why it has uh, problems that the um, uh, Royal Society in, in the uh, 17th, uh, no, 18th century, uh, they, they tried to rationalize why this, this parallax wasn't in, in, accord, in an accordance with um, uh, a motion around the sun, because then it would oscillate every six months, but it doesn't. So, uh, yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about negative parallax very shortly. Yeah, 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 that's, uh, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> you see, um, Mark, um, the, um, the uh, tables, astronomical tables, uh, modern astronomical tables, have listed, you know, thousands of thousands of stars, the parallaxes of thousands or actually millions of stars. But the thing is that uh, many of these parallaxes are negative. What does it mean? A parallax should be always, in the Copernican model, they should always be positive because we always go in one direction around the sun, right? We're not never going backwards, okay? So that, that they should always be positive. So here's a, okay, thank you, Patrick. I have done this uh, conceptual graphic to show if you were in a car, you see this car here? Mm-hmm. Blue car? This is the Copernican model, right? Okay, they're telling us we are like in a car going around the sun. So you would always see positive parallax because you would always see the stars in the right hand right hand window, and in this, in the left hand window you will always see the sun. So the, the all the parallax measurements should be positive, but mm. that is not the case. They have. 25% of the parallaxes are positive. The other 25 is negative. And the remaining 50 is zero. They don't, they find, don't, don't find any parallax for 50% of the stars. And that's an unresolved mystery. But I solve it in the absolutely simplest possible manner with the, the Tycho's model. Because, uh, yeah, scroll down. Thank you. Because uh, in the Tychos, we are always ever going in in a kind of a straight line, right? Okay, here, this graphic shows it. You see, we are going from left to right here, okay, on this graphic. We are only moving by 14,000 kilometers every year. Hmm? Actually, here it says 7,000 because that's six months. It's six months of our movement. You know, uh, astronomers usually... Uh, take a measurement of a star uh, one day and they wait six months and they take another measurement of the star. So the, it's a six-month window that they use, they use to measure parallaxes. So 
in the tables we have, even you know the most modern tables, they have twenty-five uh, percent uh, of the stars have negative parallax, and twenty-nine have positive, and the remaining fifty or so have no parallax. But that's explained by by the fact that we are going almost in a straight line. You know, for hundreds of years we are not doing much of a circle, are we? We are going straight. So <clears throat> you imagine now. Earth being this car we saw before. Well, this car, we are on a car, right? I mean, if you imagine we are on <laughs> traveling in a car, in the front window, we would, uh, we would not see any parallax of any star because we're going towards it. So parallax means, you know, the, the lateral uh, oscillation of a closer star uh, with respect to the further stars, Okay. That's that's what you need it's to like, understand. It. It's like when you have a, a light pole or a, or a close by tree, and then it, when you are moving sideways, the 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 tree shifts according to the woods in the background. That's parallax. Exactly. But if that's you drive important. down the road and in in front of you you have a flagpole in the middle of the roads, that flagpole, if you go towards it, it won't change. It won't change laterally when you drive towards it, right? Mm. The same will happen when you look in the back window. It will you will not see any parallax of things mm. behind that flagpole. So here it is explained why why these percentages of parallaxes are divided this way, and the, there is no other model that explains this. But so you, so you you will ask again probably, Mark, how do they rationalize this? You know how they rationalize this. This fact that they're seeing 25 negative and 29 positive, they say that, well, it's because the parallaxes are so small, so the errors can be, you know, sometimes they're so small, these are parallaxes, so the error of, um, of the instruments can uh, should be you know there is a bell curve that would mm. we would expect that uh, half of them are wrong. Mm. But if half of them were wrong, Sorry, I have a, a call here. Okay. Um, if half of them are wrong, why should we believe that the other half is, is right. true? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's it's absolute, it's ridiculous, really, how so, they are uh, handling this affair. Well, and yeah. also, so, so the, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't it stand to reason if they're, what they're suggesting is true, that we wouldn't even have the same zodiac that we do now? I mean, we're, we're suggesting, they're saying that it's so far away that we're not going to notice the changes. But, you know, clearly the same 12 constellations have been in view uh, for, you know, the past however many thousand years that these cultures have have recorded the zodiac no, with, with that. No, no, no. The constellations are changing. Every two thousand years, we go from one constellation to the other. You know, we have like twelve constellations around us. Right. Two thousand years ago, we were uh, in front of another uh, a constellation to the left. You see, if you can put the constellation um, ring, Patrick. There. There we go. So now just put it straight now as as if it were today you know you can reset reset so we see it. Yeah just a short one uh, I checked you know uh, yesterday or, or the day before it was a uh, 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 moon eclipse mm -hmm. 
And uh, as we can see, here we have the sun, here we have the earth, and back there we have the moon. And if we step forward here slightly, will we see on this day? Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We, we so, the I mean, the, the, this, it's, it's perfectly observationally correct, this model. We, you can sh- and, and, and we also have all the actual positions here of every celestial body with right ascension and uh, I just wanted to show Mark um, yeah. how the, the constellations how we have changed every 2000 years we change constellation so if you put it straight now just from above so it's easier to yes. relate to and mid smaller okay so 2000 years ago we we were there you go and um and now just rotate so we see it straight. So we see the PVP. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, perfect. So you see the sun where it is now to the right. Yes. That's today. Okay. Okay. Well, no, just just let's see it from above. Otherwise, it's it's complicated to relate to from above. Yes. Um, so here's the sun uh, today. Okay, I mean in this era. Uh, and now you can you can put you can change 2022 and put uh, zero, just put zero, or put more 22, zero. 22 yeah. or uh, just zero zero year, year, year zero. zero. You mean year zero or what? Year zero, year zero. Yeah. You see, wow. we were the sun was in areas 2000 years ago. Almost in areas, but the, the and now, now the, it's in Pisces. The is... At the end of Pisces, we're going into Aquarius. Now go back to 2022, and you, you're going to see that we are slowly coming into Aquarius. Right, and that's why we are, you know, the age of Aquarius. You know, we were singing about that. <laughs> well, and and to to clarify, and I really appreciate you correcting me uh, because mm. this is you know a little bit out of my uh, lane here. But here here we have the Earth at the exact center of the zodiacal wheel where let's say with the copernican model they're suggesting that the sun would be at that center point here we could see pretty clearly that this makes more sense i mean just from what i've understood about astrology this makes way more sense than the sun being at the center and the earth sort of flying around that pizza pie there Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, one thing I want to to point out is, uh, please understand, uh, the spring equinox, that's why I asked Patrick to put the date um, March 21, 0321, that's March 21, that's the spring equinox. That's the moment in time, in, in, in the year, that Earth, the Earth's motion is going straight towards the sun. Okay, straight towards the sun. Okay, and that has been the same all over the centuries and millennia. You can go back now. You can put um, uh, thousand years. Uh, you know, uh, one second equals thousand years, and, and click backwards, uh, Patrick. Thousand years. You click backwards. Uh, one one thousand years. Two thousand years. 2,000 years, okay, 3,000 years. You see, the the date stays the same. It's always uh, spring equinox. And every, 
you see that the earth is always pointed towards the um, the sun actually go forwards now forwards forwards is better so it's it's more clear wow forwards forwards yeah so so the spring equinox is the moment in time oh now the the, the date changed a bit because the uh, the simulator is a bit uh, buggy but put back uh, 0321 so we can see exactly that's yeah so the spring equinox is the moment in time where this the earth's motion is directly directed directed towards the sun right and you're talking time. about the the rotation uh moving clockwise it's, towards it's the, the rotation sun. of the whole our whole system right wow so, I mean, the, the Earth is moving like this, and, and the Sun is moving around us like this. Mm-hmm. And when the Sun is in the spring equinox, Earth is pointing is towards the time it. When, it, when it's pointed, moving tor- tor- slowly right. towards mm-hmm. the Sun. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that's starting to paint the picture much clearer now. And, and this is where the, the analogy of being in the vehicle is helpful because we're looking forward at this point in the year towards the mm-hmm. sun, moving yes. towards the sun. Okay. This, exactly. This, exactly. Thank exactly. you. Wow. Okay. So unless there's more you'd like to elaborate on, can we maybe illustrate where the moon fits into to this? Unless you have more you'd like to, to elaborate Oops, on Absolutely. That no, no, sure. Let's, let's take yeah. uh, the moon. So how does the moon, uh, the moon fit is in? extremely important here yeah. in the Tycho's model because it turns out that the moon's main period, which is 29.22 days, that is the time that the moon, uh, on average, returns in, uh, returns in front of the sun. It's the uh, the true synodic period of the of the moon. If you multiply 29.22 by by four, you get Mercury's periods, 116.88. If you multiply by 20, you get Venus's synodic period, exactly 20. If you multiply by 25, you get Mars's synodic period, etc., etc. By 150, you get Jupiter's, and all the way to Pluto. It's whole multiples of this moon's periods. This is a clockwork. This is an amazing clockwork, and the moon is like the the uh, the axis, the uh, the um, the drive shaft, the central drive shaft of this gearbox. Our moon, and why would that be the case if our moon was just if we were going around the sun, and then would the moon would just be a little, you know, uh, you know, uh, what the moon wouldn't be important if we, we if we were going around the sun. We would just be the, in a third lane going around the sun. Why would the moon be so mm-hmm. important? Why would it reflect, you know, why would it be the central drive shaft of the of the whole system if it weren't in the center, which it is, together with, the, with Earth? The Earth and the moon are in the center, obviously, because the moon reflects at mul- exact multiples all the periods of our planets, all the way to Pluto. At, at exact uh, integer uh, multiples, and that's uh, in my uh, some chapter of my book. 
And uh, <laughs> that's not something that anyone has ever said or discovered. <coughs> so I, I claim that as my discovery. Uh, Fascinating. Modesty. It's almost but, like a uh, fractal. Am I wrong in comparing it to a fractal? I mean, shouldn't we expect to see this sort of sacred geometry that we see in the microcosm reflected in the macrocosm? Well, yes, that's that's an interesting question because very, very recently I've been looking at the, the, the microcosm as well and <laughs> there is a number in physics which is uh, the most mysterious number they, they talk about which is 1 to 137, the 137 magic number. Mm. And uh, that's what in atomic, uh, the atoms, you know, electrons and protons, electrons would be circling around protons in uh, with 177 um, ratio. Um and you know, you know what I did? I, I simply, <clears throat> well, this is a bit complicated, but I try to make it simple. The, I find this 137 number by seeing how, how much does the sun move in 24 hours in one day, which means one rotation of Earth, okay? How much, how much? It moves by 2 million, 2.5 million kilometers approximately. This 2.5 million something is exactly 137, 137th of the diameter of, of our orbit, of the PVP orbit. <laughs> Get that. Wow. I mean, it's exactly yeah, yeah, 137. It's, yeah, we, we are getting into to quite some detailed stuff here, but, but that occurs naturally because, I mean, we you discovered this it's been verified that at least in my mind that the the, the copernican or heliocentric model doesn't work this one is this one does yes and and we're moving forward from that so i mean yes yes no i, but, I jumped, but everyone jumped interested forward. can can uh, read the book and 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 first understand the the basic of the basics of the model and its claims Absolutely. but but, yeah. but it, i mean you when you've seen the woods you'd start examining the trees and, and find interesting stuff <laughs> and I, I'm just looking here at the at the uh, moon eclipse we had a couple of days ago and it it uh, it works perfectly with Tychosium as any and I had, hadn't checked that out before but so wonderful yeah it, it, it actually was uh, uh, it, it was uh, um, accurate to the hour Patrick yeah the yeah last, I was, uh, <laughs> the last uh, eclipse of the moon, accurate yeah. to the hour, and and so, so are so are the other eclipses uh, back even even a thousand years. We can go back a thousand years on the Tychosum yeah. and the moon eclipses that have been recorded or in a, you know in, in very old history books. They yeah. always match with the Tychosum, which is much more than you can say uh, about um, Copernican simulators. So yeah. th this Tychosum simulators is already superior to any simulator, existing simulator. Um, the, the, only, the only thing we have to improve is 
just a, a bit the um, the height of of the moon, the um, which is called the declination of the moon, which can be a bit wrong, but I I think we can solve that in a new version because it's uh, it, it has to do with the, the um, we have had to adapt the sizes of the graphics in order to to it to be visible you know because you can't have yeah. the ex- the same you can it can't be to scale the, the moons um to be a visible here graphically i've made the moon 39 times the moon's orbit 39 times bigger so when we get that sorted out we probably get the moon precisely perfect and so we have some things to fix but we're working, and Patrick is working on it. And yeah, and and, and, and I think we right. we have uh, achieved uh, quite a lot, uh, uh, considering we've been uh, one person working full time on this, uh, and that's you, Simon, and me part time. Yes, despite <laughs> right, having a, a ordinary day job, so it's it's uh, absolutely amazing. And I could show you also, Mark, uh, and kind of experimental feature, but I, I think it's pretty. It 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 very it illustrates well the 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 problem we have with the heliocentric model because if we start the Tychosium with a one month speed, we see things moving like this. But in the, here we can change the 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 relativity or the the uh, center point, so we can set the center point to the sun. So if I change this look at and I set it to the sun, now you will see a heliocentric model, right? Mm-hmm. And it looks pretty good. I mean, it's it's it looks yeah. You see the the Earth is oh yeah. As I said, it's experimental. Sometimes it becomes a bit strange. Now we see it here. Earth is moving around the sun and the other planets as expected. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's experimental. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, uh, it's affected. No, the, the, let uh, me finish. Let, sun, please, sun, please, uh, Simon, please, static. please, please, let no. me finish. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, we have an Earth. Uh, so, I mean, this is the looking at the, the, the Tychos model from a heliocentric perspective and it seems to work and this is the way uh, a heliocentric model as well they have the planets moving in elliptic orbits at at varying speeds so the positions in relation to the earth is is fairly accurate but the problem starts when we bring in the stars because (laughs) since the stars are not changing in relation to us. I, ha- I have, this is also a bit experimental, but we have the stars <clears throat> in the model. <clears throat> Sorry. And if, if we change the speed a little bit, we, we can see it more clearly. So we say here, here. <clears throat> so what would be required then geometrically for the heliocentric model to work is that all the stars are moving around the sun together with the earth <laughs> yes. wow. so you could you could actually you could argue that uh, heliocentrism is a very special form of geocentrism <laughs> where the earth is attached to the rest of the universe while it's exactly. moving around the sun 
exactly. Wow. So yeah, we have a geometrical problem here, Mark, if well, you, you follow. You, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it seems you have far more to explain with heliocentrism than you do the Tycho's yes. model. So, wow. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Wow. It, it simply does not work. And uh, Copernican, Coper, the Copernican system is, um, is just uh, something that uh, seems to work on paper. Well, and and what Kepler did was a mathematical trick. Right, I've heard you he just talk made about it work. This. Uh, he made it work by by mathematics. Yeah. And but he had to do uh, many adjustments. You know, he had to invent uh, elliptical orbits and variable speeds. So we're supposed to believe that all our planets kind of speed up and slow down. Or uh, they they half of the year or half of their turn they go at faster speed and the rest the other half they go slower and and that's explained by gravity and stuff but why would it do so why would they you know you know why yeah it's it makes it and and uh, uh, mercury is especially problematic because mercury is supposed to vary its speed by 34% yes. in its 90 day orbit yes imagine a planet shifting speeds like that every 90 days uh, it, it has to do that in the heliocentric model, but in the in in the Tycho's model, it moves uh, at constant speed, right? In a circular orbit. Now, yes, that's very important. To, that's very important to to say again. I, I will repeat that. Uh, in the Tychosium, all the planets move at constant speeds and in totally circular motions, mm. and that was. What all the astronomers back in the ages w- wish to achieve, you know, they wish to achieve uh, this natural, they wish to achieve um, a model which would accommodate this natural idea of the planets moving at the same speed all the time and moving in circles. Mm-hmm. Well, the Tychosum does that. And in spite of being so different in that sense, it is perfectly in accordance with all observ- uh, the observations made over centuries. Right. I'm sorry if I repeat myself, no, but no, it's no. important to understand it this. It is, yeah. In spite of being so, you know, different in a way, I mean, we are saying that the, the we are saying what, what we were saying what all the astronomers of yesteryear, uh, 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 you know, the Greeks and the Arabs all wished to arrive to this conclusion that the, all the planets move at the same speed and in circular motions because that's what nature requires or it's, it's, a, it's a common sense thing. Right. It's, um, and this is what the Tychosm does. So please don't, don't think that Tychosm is complicated. You just need to get used to it. Mm. <laughs> See, you need to, to get used to it. No, because it, otherwise, it's, it's, in other in other in other um, uh, ways, it is extremely simple. It's much simpler than right. than the one we have been taught in school. Well, it's far more attainable than the 
heliocentric model. And I'll say just in this short time we've spoken, you've elucidated on it a lot. So I appreciate you spending the time to sort of nail this into my head here. But uh, I'm curious, we're looking at the Berry Center. Can I? Can you guys explain this? Because I noticed that earlier as a sort of gray point. Are, are we looking at maybe like the Earth as a sort of small it has a sort of smaller orbit that moves it moves really slow around like is that what we're looking at here what is the berry center mhm maybe i'll take that patrick because this is yes. uh, a thing we are discussing a bit uh, i'm i'm on two in two minds right now about exactly where the berry center is but i'm at this moment i think that we should we should say that the berry center is earth itself Although we have a dot in the middle of the, his, the Earth's orbit. We, we see that dot in the middle of the blue mm-hmm. orbit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the, so the question. Is, the question center. is, where yeah. is the barycenter exactly? Uh, I think we need to get to, you know, what I said before, uh, you know, the Tychosium 5.0, when we will see if our our system actually uh, revolves around Sirius in order to establish this thing. Where is the barrier center, the true barrier center of our system? At, for, at this moment, I would say that the barrier center is the Earth and, and that this barrier center revolves in 25,000 years, 25,344 years. Um, now, because why why isn't the very center in the middle there because sometimes Mars, what Mars does sometimes when it gets co- closest to Earth, it, it, it crosses exactly the very center. Um, mm. we, we'll, we will have to, to go to some dates which I can't remember now to show that Mars actually crosses the very center. So so I'm not sure if that dot in the middle of the PVP orbit is the actual barrier center because Mars passes right across it. Mm. Um, but that's only you know we we need we need to to, to this needs further study. Right. Oh, yeah. It's it's. I mean, we. I want to be you know humble about that. We yeah. don't exactly know where the barrier center is, but somewhere around Earth it is. Right, and it is it. Pivotal to understand Mars used to be a star. How does this play into the the binary star? Because I I remember you saying that it's possible Mars used to be uh, a star itself. And, and, you know, evidence for this is its red color. The fact that stars end their lives usually as red dwarfs. Red dwarfs are the absolutely most common uh, old stars in the universe. They're the most common stars. Red dwarfs, and they call red dwarfs because they are mostly red, reddish, um, and um, so you know there is um, uh, there is a, another pair of guys who have done a huge um, research about they they call it a stellar metamorphosis, and they are saying that all all the objects in our skies. All the planets and moons, whatever, are have been stars. They are all stars. 
the ones that don't shine with their own light have been stars and they have just, you know, faded out. They have lost their burning power. And even Earth might have been a star because what do we have in the middle of Earth? We have, don't we see lava coming out of volcanoes? What does it mean? We have some really hot stuff in the middle of Earth, right? So Earth might have been a star as well, but it's a very old star. And the moon, even the moon might have been a, a star, but it's very much older. It's There is no volcanoes on the moon. So um, just, just, you know, think about that for a moment. I mean, all the, all the planets we, we know of might have been stars earlier. They're just older stars that have run out of their fuel and... Uh, and are now just circling around uh, a young star like the sun. The sun is a young star, according to the stellar metamorphosis theory. And I think I like that theory. It's uh, it makes sense. Mm. Yeah, me too. And and uh, but I mean, I, I I like to speculate as well because that, that's what we can do here around this to 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 speculate. But I I think it makes perfect sense that that. Uh, Earth is uh, an old star, and that perhaps the Moon uh, was its binary companion a long, long time ago. And then we had gas giants uh, forming around the Earth that was a star. And eventually these gas giants became so dense that they exploded uh, in a supernova and became stars that orbited the dying star Earth. And uh, if we uh, look at how our system uh, looks today, maybe we have uh, as, as above, so below an evolution of, 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 of the star systems because, I mean, we have two gas giants outside the sun so when the sun becomes old and, and, and fades, maybe these two guys, Jupiter and, and Saturn, become stars. Wow. So, yeah. Can I just point out, when you were tracing Venus, it almost looked like it made a five-pointed pattern uh, as it Yeah, that's the, the flower of Venus. Wow. Yeah, show it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's show, beautiful. Show the trace now, of Venus. Now, yeah. do you think that esoterically ancient cultures observed these sort of things and encoded that, you know, sacred flower in the mythology of Venus? I mean, it seems like these planets, as they get really close to us, this would explain, you know, the concept of, uh, you know, the planets having an influence, right? They sort of... Uh, get really close to us at these certain portions yes. of the time, and and that would maybe affect us magnetically, energetically, as a planet. Wow, that's I mean that's incredible mm. to see. This is far more. I mean, for people just listening to look at this, I mean you 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 can't argue with with the helio or geoheliocentric model when you see something like this. It it just seems to to reflect what we see here on on Earth in nature. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think the the this this model and this way of looking at it uh, from a geo heliocentric perspective is is the perfect uh, compromise or match or whatever between 
uh, heliocentrism that doesn't work and and classic geocentrism that doesn't work and and Tycho-Brahe's model was was brilliant. This uh, geo-heliocentric model that that Simon has further developed now and, and made enormous discoveries with because of all the accumulated observations and and uh, data from from uh, the centuries after uh, Tycho-Brahe. But but it's so genius because this geoheliocentric model is it solves all the problems with ret- retrogrades because the classic geocentric models they had problems with uh, retrogrades and and uh, the heliocentric model has a, a, a non-working explanation for retrogrades and also uh, non-geometric <laughs> it doesn't function geometrically. So uh, this is uh, this is really, uh, and and I think it. You know, when you find something like you look for confirmation, and uh, if you find observations that disprove it, that would of course invalidate the model. But we haven't found any disproof of this model so far, and we have found a lot of confirmation. And when you may mention that the planets may affect uh, life on Earth. I mean, as, as uh, that's a theory in astrology, and it may sound uh, uh, outlandish, or, but I, I find an old paper, I have to find it again, uh, that I think it was from the 60s, there was uh, a guy, he was working with radio, uh, you know, commercial radio, and he noticed that the radio transmissions varied. What was it was harder or easier to send radio, depending on the planetary positions. Wow! You know, yeah. So there was disturbance in the ether, depending on 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 the yeah. the locations of the planets, well, and, and-, and that only makes sense if if uh, to me at least if if the Earth is in the center. And and so when the when the planets line up with the sun or and it if it's a, a, a magnetic system or or uh, so then that would happen but it wouldn't it doesn't make sense if if um, Earth is just another planet mm. uh, orbiting the sun right so. right well then the electromagnetic understanding I think is far superior to this gravity nonsense that we're given. Uh, from the dead materialist sort of perspective. I mean, this Mm -hmm. may seem like out of left field, but when you look at the esoteric herbology throughout many different cultures, they talk about certain plants which bloom during certain uh, astronomical alignments or when certain planets are influencing Mm -hmm. the Earth. And this seems to check out. I mean, plants are uh, electro, you know, beings. They have this sort of nervous system-like framework. Some of them uh, have corresponding minerals. I mean, what comes to mind are like certain plants that have iron in them have a relationship with the planet Mars, which is, you know, classically considered you know, connected to iron. Maybe that's just symbolic, but if we have, Mm. you know, plants that have a high amount of iron in them that grow when Mars is closest to the Earth, I mean, how could you not think there's some kind of uh, energetic exchange there, right? I mean, maybe I'm just sort of supposing. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, and and, uh, as you you mentioned, uh, Mark, uh, a magnetic system 
or, mm. or uh, electromagnetic gravity and 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 orbits uh, as uh, with an uh, electromagnetic underlying cause makes much more sense to me mm. than uh, Newtonian gravity because uh, Newtonian gravity or the Newtonian theory of gravity makes it, it becomes absurd in, in a certain situation as, as Simon brings up in his book. I mean, did, did you know that the Sirius B, that is a small star, it's supposed to have 300,000 times the density of earth. 400,000. Wow. 400,000. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. 400,000. And I mean, it's absurd but these yeah. assumptions are made because otherwise the the holy newtonian <laughs> mathematics will not add up mm. and it's the same thing with dark matter there's a lot of talk with dark matter that is something they had to have to throw in there because otherwise mm. the newtonian mathematics wouldn't add up so let's assume something Right. All the time. Let's, you know, it's ad hoc. Impo- oh, the, the mathematics doesn't add up. Well, let's assume something physical. <laughs> right. let, let me just clarify, if I may, uh, the question yeah, about sure. series, series B. That is, uh, is now, uh, we, are, we are told that it, uh, the matter that is com- that's, uh, the series B is made of is 400,000 times denser than any matter known in nature, because because Sirius B is as small as it is. It's supposed to be slightly smaller than Earth, and it's supposed to be the star that rotates, revolves around Sirius A. I mean, there is no controversy about that. They every every astronomer knows that Sirius A and Sirius B revolve around each other in intersecting orbits, just like the Sun and Mars. <laughs> but but when they discovered Sirius B, it was panic for the whole uh, uh, community, the, the whole scientific community, because they couldn't explain why such a small thing w- was the companion of, of such a huge star like Sirius A. Mm. So they had to come up with the explanation that the matter that is on that Sirius B is made of is four hundred thousand times. Denser, the atoms are packed four hundred thousand times closer than than on Earth. As if they can figure know, that out somehow. Don't you see what it did there? Right. They had, you know, they did this. But no one has put Sirius B on a bathroom scale and weighed it, right? <laughs> they're, they're they're just assuming that right. the matter of Sirius B is four hundred thousand times uh, denser. Well, and and. Because they can, because they have to to save uh, the face of uh, the Newtonian theory. Well, and also in absence <laughs> yeah. of of Sirius uh, C, right, where the Earth's sort of companion fits into that equation, it, it seems like you know it's uh, it's like trying to understand you know how it's working with only some of the parts, right? They're not looking at the whole composite view of that solar system the same way we could look at our solar system. Exactly. Mm. I mean, mind you, no one has ever uh, hypothesized, uh, no one uh, but me has hypothesized that Sirius C is a twin of Earth. That, that's, that's, really, that's really just from my Tycho's model. Mm. 
there's no discussion about that. No one has ever, you know, come up with that idea. But I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I feel strongly confident that Sirius C probably exists. We can't see it because it's too close to the big star, Sirius A. It's, it's lost in the glare. And that would be the same if you were on Sirius A looking down towards our system, you wouldn't see Earth. You wouldn't see Earth right. because it's too close to the sun. Whereas Mars has much bigger um, orbits. So right. you would probably see mm. Mars like a, yeah. you would see but, Mars just like we see Sirius B. Now, yeah. Venus and, and Mercury, these seem to be, you know, at more accurately described as moons of the sun yes. rather than planets. Can we get into that a little bit? Because uh, I, think, I was hoping yeah. I was hoping you would bring up this. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Venus and Mercury are obviously we must obviously call them the moons of the sun. Why? Because <clears throat> for hundreds of years, uh, all astronomers agreed that Mercury and Venus show the same face to the sun. But in the 60s, NASA came and said, no, actually, Mercury does a 3 to 2, has a 3 to 2 ratio. It doesn't really, it's not tightly locked. But that's all up in the air. That's not ever been confirmed. What is being, what is confirmed, what is a mystery for astronomers is that Venus shows us the same face every time it comes closest to Earth. And that's considered a mystery. I repeat, that is considered today a mystery. Why does Venus, every time it comes closest to Earth, show us the same side of, of, of its, of its uh, globe? That's, that is a fact. Uh, Mercury is a bit, you know, but the, the thing is, you know, both both Venus and Mercury, I mean, Venus is, is enshrouded in uh, white. You, you can't see much detail on the surface of Venus, so they really have hard time to see. But they, they, they still can see that it, it, it shows the same face every time it comes close. Uh, Mercury, Mercury, they now say, but in, in, this was in the 60s that NASA says, says that now we have radio pinks we can throw on Mercury and it tells us that Mercury is not, is not uh, tidy locked. But I would say that it is tidy locked and they had to, to come up with this because otherwise the Copernican system would uh, collapse. Uh, so, both Mercury and Venus rotate extremely slowly around their axis. They rotate at walking speeds themselves, uh, like uh, 10 kilometers an hour and 15 or 17 kilometers an hour. And, and our, our moon rotates at, uh, at, at some kind of, that, that kind of uh, speed, you know. Um, what is it now? 19 kilometers an hour. I mean, moons are moons because they ro- first of all, you can you can define a moon when it rotates very slowly around its axis and when it shows the same face to its host. Our moon always shows the fa- same face to us because it's tidally locked. 
it is a magnetic phenomenon, phenomena, phenomenon. Probably, we 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 must accept that uh, magnetism uh, is 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 true. Magnetism is much more uh, credible than gravity. Um, uh, it's uh, yeah, the, the Newtonian of, theory of gravity. You were you were saying because I mean gravity is a physical phenomenon phenomenon here on Earth, and, I, and they always they love to mix that up. So I was just clarifying. William Gilbert was a incre- incredibly intelligent guy. William Gilbert, look him up. He he wrote a book called De Magnete. He was saying that uh, we live in a magnetic system. Mm. What, look up William Gilbert. He had this idea, and you know who was a big fan of of uh, William Gilbert? Kepler. Kepler was was a big fan mm. of his theory of magnetism. Of course, we are we are in a magnetic system. It's all magnets. You, mm. we we could probably reproduce this on Earth if we just get you know um, get a good experiment going, and we could reproduce what our solar system is showing us. Uh, already, people are are putting you know big magnets, uh, big magnets in the middle of a table, and they throw small magnets around them, and they they revolve around the big magnet. They levitate. Yeah. <laughs> That's something we can test, right? And they don't—they don't revolve in the elliptical orbits or or at different speeds. They differ—they—they were—they revolve at the same speed all the time. And and uh, so, uh, why have they completely discarded the idea that we are in a totally electromagnetic uh, system? I don't know. You tell me. This is just a magnetic uh, system, and 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 the the exact multiples of the orbits of this the, our moon are seen in multiple <laughs> multiple uh, the, the all the planets of the, of uh, around us revolve in multiples of the moons. Mm. Orbit. I mean, come on. This is <laughs> no one has said this. They are they saying that yeah, the the planets almost move, uh, um, almost moving. I mean, Jupiter almost moves in twelve years, twelve solar years. Uh, Saturn almost moves in thirty years, but they say twenty nine point seven. And, and for Jupiter, they say 11.8 years. No, the, the problem, in, the only thing that they, they have um, missed is that we move, we, the Earth moves. So this little discrepancy uh, between the, an integer number of years, of solar years, is just because they don't know about our own motion, the motion of Earth, which is 14,000 kilometers a year. So this little discrepancy is just because they don't know about our own motion. And I show it quantitatively, quantitatively, I show it in my book, that this is what exactly is going on. Mm. Right. Yeah, and it is it is quite a, a gift that you're giving to people, uh, offering this for free online. I hope that you, uh, <laughs> you publish a, a print copy. I'd be happy to buy it. And, uh, you know, I don't want to 
bog down the conversation by bringing this up, but I think you guys are doing a great service to us in the alternative community because people who are obsessed with this flat earth concept, they often are able to pick apart the, the heliocentric model and rightly so. And they use that as their justification for this even more absurd model, which I think, you know, it won't stand to reason when it's paired next to your, uh, or well, Tycho Brahe's, you know, uh, model of, of how things are. I think, you know, this flat earth idea could only exist in a sort of world where people are so jaded towards a false concept, you know, it's, yes, it's like yes, a response yes, yes. to that. Yes. I mean, the flat earth phenomenon that's gone viral now is, is just a cons- consequence of, it's a consequence of the fact that the Copernican system doesn't work mm. in, 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 in marginally. It's, it's a consequence of this, but it's also, Something that is pushed by, in my in my opinion, it is pushed by you know the powers that be that right. you know NASA that they say that they, they they can land on the moon and they can go everywhere. They needed to do to to you know make something that makes people just uh, come up with all kinds of uh, foolish theories. They yeah. yeah it's 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 they have uh, uh, they have a they, they have a plan they have a plan to make us keep keep ignorance. Right. Yeah. It's it's advanced uh, disinformation and a psycholog- psychological observation. I think that's pretty obvious because they they show the the legitimate uh, problems with the heliocentric model. Like uh, you know, we have no actual evidence that the Earth is orbiting uh, the Sun. Right. Or just and the then absurd they, notion. they try to conclude, say that this conclude that the Earth is a pancake, and that's <laughs> just silly. Right. You know, that, that's a false, uh, what's it called, deduction. Or, or, so they, they're trying to confuse people. Right around these matters, so well, and, and the speed so, itself. And it's it's very know. annoying because whenever you you bring these uh, matters up, the people say, "Oh, yeah, so you you're one of those uh, flat earthers, are you? No, oh, no, yeah, of yeah. course not. <laughs> well, you're talking about <laughs> you know heliocentrism, and so right. it's very annoying, and and it's it's uh, yeah. It's, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't want to be. I don't want to be mean now with with American people. You live near New York, Mark. Uh, yeah, but I'm in but we, we have, uh, well, and just let me interrupt. We have flat earthers here in Sweden as well. Yes, so yeah, we have flat earthers <laughs> in Italy where I live. I live in Italy. I'm <laughs> Swedish, but I live in Italy. Okay, mm-hmm. and I know it's it's gone viral. But the advantage we have here in Europe is that we at least have a little distance from you know the the American televisions that mm-hmm. really you know bang on this NASA 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 is doing these amazing things. And and I think that there's so there are really enormous amounts now of Europeans at least, but I think Americans as well, that understand that NASA, as it was uh, established in 1958, is just a Hollywood department. They have never done what they they say they do, and it's it's a big show. And uh, as long as you believe in NASA, you will not, uh, you will not, you will not uh, look at the Tychos as, as anything serious. Of course, I understand. No. But yeah. uh, I, I'm on, on the opposite side of this. 
I'm saying that if you if you if you only understand that NASA is a huge television show that's been going on for you know more than half a century then you 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 can open your mind towards seeing that yes the solar system can be different from what you uh, have been taught in school so we really need to make it you know to shake us you know shake our brains now we, we yeah. can't we can't just follow this propaganda we have seen how much propaganda the powers that be are throwing at us and it's time to wake up i hate this word but it's time to wake up really yeah well, you could say if we expect to actually figure something out uh, or know something we have to do the work ourselves mm. we have to uh, study uh, a model like tycho's and and actually figure out ourselves if it makes sense we can't uh, plow through flat earth videos or whatever <laughs> I think we right. are right. receiving any clear information because we're not so, yeah. Right. And I, I really appreciate and respect mm-hmm. your position. You know, we don't really ever entertain that subject on this show because I, I wholly believe that it's disinformation. Now, when it comes to NASA, uh, that's a different story and it is it's become very nuanced and, uh, yeah, it's very clear. You guys have, a. a, a perspective on this that goes beyond the keyboard <laughs> you know this is this is the case with most flat earthers yeah. so when, yeah. when well i i had to i i completely agree with simon there and i had to go the same route i had to understand that uh 9-11 was uh, uh tv theater mm-hmm. and then i had to understand that nasa was a tv theater as well right And then I could uh, ask the question if uh, the heliocentric model is actually pseudoscience. Mm. And the answer is so far yes. Or the answer is yes, because it's it can be readily disproven by proper science. Right. So now go ahead, Simon. No, let me just throw a little nugget there, just for for a bit of humor or <laughs> to to make this discussion a bit lighter. Uh, do you guys, you guys, I mean all Americans, know who was the first um, administrator of NASA in 1958? It was a guy called T. Keith Glennon. Hmm. T. Keith Glennon. What was his um, curriculum? What did he do before becoming the the boss of NASA, the first director of NASA? Well, he was the studio director of Paramount Studios and Goldwyn Mayer. He came from the movie industry and became the first administrator of NASA. Wow! Look him up, T. Yeah. Keith Glennon. Oh yeah! What a what a perfect person! to start a department that just makes uh, pictures of the wonderful conquest of space. Right. And Walt Disney was involved, as you all know, Walt Disney and, and uh, you know, the German oh, yeah. Werner von Braun, you mm-hmm. know, 
Then from Brown, the guy who supposedly invented the rockets, who, which went up to space, he was a very good chum of Walt Disney. So, I mean, those things are now up, you know, it's, it's all for, for everyone to see. Mm, right. Why would we believe in these guys? And why would we even believe in um, this other guy who was a friend of theirs? Um, you know, the Van Allen, Van Allen, Van Allen? Yeah, the Van Allen radiation Van, Van Allen guy, the Van Allen, which we gave the name to the Van Allen belt. He was also a friend of Walt Disney and Werner from Brown. Hmm. And, but he came up with this, with the story that, oh, the Van Allen belt uh, exists. So it would be impossible for any uh, spacecraft to cross that belt, you know? So they, they, they play both sides. They have Van Allen is, has been used by people who don't believe in the moon landings because he said that there is a Van Allen belt with a huge radiation which would kill anyone going through it. So they had this guy, which was friends, we were good friends. He was, he, was, uh, he was a chum of Walt Disney and Van um, Brown. But Van Allen, Van Allen is, is always cited as uh, his Van Allen belt proves that we never went to the moon. So you see how intricate they do these stories. Mm, the Double-edged really, disinformation. They, they put, get you both ways. They get you both yeah. ways. Yeah. I like to quote the 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 devil's best trick or the art of infamy is to have two lies uh, fighting over each other. Yes. Mm. Because then you will choose one of the lies and you won't <laughs> see the truth. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Right, and it's this like, is yeah. that that third option that I think makes so much more sense. And I'm curious about this gentleman, Tycho's Brahe, and, and where he fits into the equation. Was he uh, a member of a, a secret society? Did he have some sort of uh, mm. genius like Tesla? Like, what what's his secret? Is he someone who who passed on, you know, maybe like the wisdom of the ancients or, or did he discover this all uh, himself? I would say that Tico Breuer was a honest man. Mm. He, 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 yeah, he happened to be also kind of a descendant of uh, royal families, but, but he did, he spent his life watching the stars and that's, that's, um, that's undisputable. He is indisputable. He, he, yeah, he, he was a meticulous, uh, meticulous, or what's the uh, a scientist? I mean, he spent decades uh, meticulously observing uh, the the planets and their motions. And, and he from- was probably killed by Kepler. He was probably poisoned by Kepler. Wow. And and Kepler was sort of like a. a- a peer of his or more of a student of his? How did, how did Kepler come in? Cause I know you said earlier that Kepler uh, forged a lot of information to help make the Copernicus. Yes. Kepler was an ter- incredibly dodgy guy. It was very, very fishy. Kepler was half the age of Tycho Brahe and, uh, and somehow uh, was invited by Tycho Brahe to to resolve the problem of Mars. That Mars was a problem for Tycho Brahe. He couldn't figure out what Mars was doing. Mars was the big problem. 
So since Kepler was always knocking on his door and, and sending him letters and saying, ah, I'm a good mathematician, let me try this. I'll solve it in eight days, he said. Well, he, 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 after five years, he hadn't solved Mars, but he, uh, in, in meanwhile, um, Tycho Brahe died mysteriously at, at a dinner party. And apparently his bladder burst and, and he died at age 55. Only one year after that Kepler had come into his, his, his castle and worked with him. So Kepler, there is a book written, you know, uh, it's called uh, Heavenly, Heavenly Intrigue, Intrigue, yeah, where two academics have have have, have concluded that it must have been Kepler who who killed, who poisoned Bry. Okay, so that's speculation, but I I I tend to believe that because Kepler had all the reasons and the motives and to kill his master. Because he then he, he became the royal astronomer in Prague. He, he took over his place. And he, he robbed all of his, um, he took all of his observations and, and flipped them upside down in favor of the Copernican idea. Kepler is the most fishy guy in astronomy, but he's the most, he's the most celebrated man now. Everyone knows Kepler in the world. No one knows about Tycho Brahe. If I go around the streets here in Italy, do you know about Tycho Brahe? No. Do you know about Kepler? Of course, Kepler. Kepler, Kepler is the one who fixed our solar system. So, so Kepler is an extremely fishy guy. And, and you know what? The first time that his book was translated by an American, Mr. Donahue in America, this was in 1987 or something. Mr. Donahue, who was an astronomer and an expert uh, yeah, translator, he found that he had actually cheated. He has, in his book, he, he was cheating with the numbers. He took the numbers from Tycho Brahe's observations and, and fiddled with them, fudged them, in order to make it fit with his theory. And that came on the New York Times. But nothing happened. It should have been, you know, a huge scandal in 1987 when Donahue found that Kepler had fudged the the the, uh, the observations of, of his master. It, it, it didn't have nothing happened. Kepler is still uh, hailed as the you know the hero of astronomy. He's the number one with Galileo and then. And then Einstein, of course, Einstein was, Einstein came up when there were, there were even more problems coming up and Einstein was put there to protect the Copernican system. Once again, Einstein came after, of course, right? right. And Einstein came up with the most absurd ideas, you know, so we were not supposed to understand anything of what Einstein was saying. So, <laughs> but he would, you know, he would solve everything. Mm. So we, we, are, we are under the spell of these people who have been promoted as superstars of science. And we need to, to get back the truth in our hands. We need to do uh, an effort not to be under this spell of Kepler and Einstein and, and, and the like. Right. Yeah. Well said, well said, Simon. And I, I, 
I think you, you, you said something sort of ironic when you said Kepler fixed the solar system. Here in America, we have, you know, the, the, the word rigged. You know, you rig a, a game or you rig, yeah. you know, this is synonymous with fixed. So I think in a way, Kepler uh, fixed the solar system uh, for sure. You know, he, he scammed us out of a, a, a true understanding, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious... Um, who else is is to blame? I mean, we have Copernicus, obviously, but is there a sort of camp or school or church that's in favor of this, or is this just sort of dogmatically across the board in the in the astronomy world? Is there maybe like the Vatican to blame? Like, who's who's oh, propping this Copernicus oh yeah, theory? There are the many. Most? There are many actors here. Mm. Even Galileo, Galileo was the most arrogant guy you could ever imagine. Galileo was an extremely arrogant guy. You know what he said? That ah, uh, uh, you know, you 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 you've just got to accept it. I I'm the one who have discovered everything in in the in in, in you know of the solar system. You just have to accept it, and envy will not change this. You know something like that. He, he was the most arrogant person you could imagine. And, and Galileo was also celebrated, you know, with Kepler, like uh, one of the guys who fixed the solar system. So, yeah, there are different actors from different sides. I, 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 I don't pretend to, you know, to put my finger on exactly who decided to uh, turn this solar system of ours on its head, but it, it certainly makes sense now when we now know in 2022 that the powers that be they want to they want to possess the knowledge and they want us people to remain ignorant so they do everything they can so i you know maybe in 10 years time i will write a book about this but to see if I can figure out exactly who was behind this. But I don't pretend to know just why and who, if the Jesuits or the Jews or, or the Vatican was behind this. But I'm just going, I'm doing science. I'm, 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 I'm you know, with Patrick, we are just looking at the facts, at the observable facts, and we are doing a, a simulation of the solar system which works so I don't think we can suspect it, be suspected of doing something strange. We are we are we're putting it black and white, you know. Right. You can go to the Tricosium, you can read my book, and you can see step by step that what has been observed because I've been basing my my model on so many different astronomers, you know. I, you know, I've been reading so many books in five languages and I've been putting this together and looking at all kinds of angles and and put it together in one place. So, uh, you know, I, I can't be suspected to have been biased. I, I was open to anything when I started this research. But then I found that uh, the best uh, place to start was Tycho Brahe's uh, geoheliocentric model. Mm. Fascinating. And I think, you know, you really made a sweeping endorsement. I hope everybody listening goes and checks out the book and, and plays around with the simulation to see it for themselves. Um, but 
before we go, I, I do want to give you guys a chance to to put a cherry on top and tell everybody what's next. But I know that the Mayans were pivotal in, in one at least one part of your understanding of this. Can you elaborate on that? Because we've oh, talked about yes. the Mayans before on this show and their long count and how they uh, you know, followed the moon cycles very closely. How did they help you with this um, understanding? Well, I'd like Patrick to talk, but maybe maybe should I continue? Because yes, that was my do. discovery. I mean, this, this is your uh, research. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Go ahead. No problem. Thank you, Patrick. I'm sorry <laughs> I talk too much. But um, the Mayans are absolutely, they were, they were aware of the emotions of Mars. As we said before, Mars was a problem, right? For, uh, for, 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 for Tycho Brahe, for Copernicus, for everyone. But the Mayans, as has been documented by their, you know, <laughs> the, the, the little things that have remained from their astronomical studies in the Dresden Codex, which is now uh, in Amsterdam somewhere. Well, they have discovered that, <clears throat> that Mars had a really strange uh, Periods, you know, uh, it, it, Mars did seven times. They, they noticed that Mars came back in front of the same star every seven oh seven days, but the eighth time it came back to the same star in only five hundred forty six five hundred forty six days, and that it, it 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 started again. So the cycle of Mars. Uh, please understand. Imagine that you're in your garden, okay? You have a telescope in your garden. And you choose one day to look at Mars in front of a star. Let's call the star Maria, okay? Star Maria, whatever star. Okay, you will stay there if you live long, if you live long enough, if you're patient enough. And you will see Mars realigning with star Maria in 707 days, once, and then twice, Three times, four times, five, six, seven. Every time 707 days will pass, approximately 707. But the eighth time, Mars will realign with star Maria in only 546 days. So they call this, uh, they are called the, the long ESI, empirical sidereal uh, interval, and the short uh, empirical uh, interval. But that was a mystery for them, of course. They couldn't understand why would this be. Why? And there is no explanation even from the Mayas, but they knew that. And how did I discover this? Well, I, I discovered it from a paper by uh, some pretty modern researchers, I mean, and very, very uh, eminent astronomers who wrote a paper about this but at the end of the paper they don't do any conclusion they just said oh the maya knew about this and uh, well okay but they don't they don't go further and that was one of the one of the gems that i found this paper that told me about what the mayas had discovered and <laughs> so <laughs> Can you imagine, Mark, 
that when Patrick finally made the Tychosium, and I checked this out, you know, if Mars would really do this uh, kind of strange pattern, like, so seven times it realized with the same star in 707 days, and the eighth time in 546. Well, that happened in front of my eyes when the Tychosium came to life. Can you imagine that day when 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 Patrick sent me his 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 last uh, uh, you know his last version of of the Tecosium? I, I I checked this and it 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 checked out. And why why is this? Because uh, because that's that's just a it's just a natural geometric uh, phenomena uh, <laughs> because Mars does a spirographic. Uh, pattern around us and the eighth time it will not start at the same point so it will cross a line which is much earlier and i show that in my book i i, I explain it in my book very 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 clearly so and so the tycosium is the only the only simulator that shows this Empirically, you can go and check it out. You take uh, w- once the tachosium will be um, as complete uh, with the stars and everything. Um, you can check it just you know in in uh, in uh, in ten minutes. Mm. You can you can check this. Well, you can already do it now. You can you can see Mars aligning with the same star seven times in seven or seven days, and the eighth time in five hundred forty six days. Right. That is already happening here in, in the Tycosium. It's a bit long to show you now, but this is a fact. Right. So what am I supposed to do other than celebrate, uh, you know, this fact? This is exactly what the Tycosium shows. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. You guys have done really brilliant work. I got to give it up to you again, Simon, for... for Breaking Ground and, and Patrick for helping illustrate this. It's funny, uh, the first orrery, I'm sure you both are familiar with an orrery. Uh, yeah, yeah. The first orrery ever made in the new world was made where I live right now. So it's kind of uh, it's synchronistic oh, wow. for me. I'm curious, do you have any plans to make a, a sort of a physical version of this one day? Uh, something that in, incorporates <laughs> magnets and, and maybe shows this in even <laughs> more 3D? <laughs> I, was, I was planning to outsource some kind of, you know, installation to some Chinese company, you know, you could put this uh, uh, artery in your in your lounge, you know. That'd be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's it could. I mean, it could easily be done. You could do a, a very beautiful uh, clock or something with yeah. uh, and actually showing, you know, the 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 planetary positions and everything correctly. <laughs> because I mean. This is a very uh, simple uh, simulator. Mm. People don't realize that, but since we only have uh, circular motions and, and constant speeds, it's it's very uh, basic. Mm. And uh, compared to uh, so compared to Newtonian uh, celestial 
mechanics it's uh, you know it's like uh, one plus one equals two uh, compared to uh, the most difficult <laughs> equation you could ever imagine and and that really adds to 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 confirmation or, or support and 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 to quote uh, Tycho Brahe he said something along the lines that um the language uh of nature is simple so uh, so i mean and, and it's the awesome occam's razor and all that this this is a very simple this is simple physics or simple motions and uh, that adds to its uh, credibility because it solves these complex motions with retrogrades etc that uh, astronomers have struggled with for thousands of years so yeah you know when you if you go to the stellarium which is a famous uh, um, uh, simulator of our skies you just go and see how many people were contracted to help out it's like hundreds hundreds <laughs> people were had had have worked on the stellarium. We are two people, Patrick and I. You go to the stellarium, you see how many people were uh, were on this job. Acknowledgement, right there. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, oh wow. <laughs> I don't know how many. Uh, yeah, it's enormous, so, an enormous project. So, yeah. yeah. And I just because, want to clarify as well, so but this can confuse people, or they can say because. Yes, we have Stellarium and other uh, planetariums, or, or, and these show the planets and the stars in their actual positions from a geocentric mm-hmm. uh, perspective, but they mm-hmm. are not using um, a heliocentric or Copernican mechanics within them. You, you could never, you can never zoom out from a, a stellarium like this and, and, and see uh, things move in a heliocentric fashion because that, that, that doesn't work. Can't do it. Can never demonstrate Now you have two types, model. two types of auroris, uh, I mean, modern digital auroris. One yeah. is for, as, as if you would look at the skies from your garden, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and another... Uh, seen from above, you know, seen yeah. from as 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 a tachosium is. When you open a tachosium, you see it from above, from above our, our North Pole. But there is no existing, there is no existing planetarium that does both. Yeah, that, they, and they can never. Just to explain, yes, we have of course uh, heliocentric auroris like JS orrery, mm-hmm. but they never incorporate the stars. And that is, as I, I demonstrated before, because if you bring in the stars and try to make it work together with the stars, it doesn't work. Right. It's, it's absurd. You will see Mars aligning uh, from one side of its orbit to the other with the same star, as if mm. 300 million kilometers didn't do anything <laughs> to its position against that star. I mean, yeah. you, you, you have to spend a little time Understanding what I'm saying now, but there is no existing planetarium, digital planetarium that that um, respects the positions of our planets in relation to the stars. Mm. Stop. Mm-hmm. Is that clear? 
That makes a lot of sense. It's crystal clear, and I really appreciate you both joining me here to explain all this. I know it's very easy for listeners to go and, and get a better understanding. They can just go to tycos.space and check out the Tycosium. They can also go and look at your book, The Tycos, Our Geoaxial Binary System by Simon Shack. And if I've left anything out, I'd love for you guys to tell listeners anything else you'd like to promote or plug or share. Any final thoughts before we uh, wind down here? Patrick? Yeah, I, I, I hope uh, people take their time and, and study this uh, uh, important uh, subject. And it isn't that hard if you, you give it a chance. And uh, we can also see, as I mentioned before, the, the art of, of infamy is to have lies fighting for each other because I think that is one of the purposes of the... Uh, flat earth movement is mm. to bring out another lie when the, the the heliocentric lie gets in trouble you know <laughs> all this they, they they you know so so we won't see uh, that that i mean the the uh, yeah, yeah. the flat earth model is of course absurd but actually the heliocentric model is uh, is also absurd when right. you start to look at it but it it of course seems more it, it's of course better choice than flat earthery but uh, so i hope they won't be able to to keep this uh, in the, in the shadows to people so please uh, do your work spread the word and uh, it's um, been a pleasure thank you for having us mark oh of course thank you uh, this uh, excellent title of a podcast my my family is a bit <laughs> <laughs> curious but yeah, well, you know, it's, it's the thing, you know, truth, it, it begins as blasphemy, <laughs> as they say. Well yeah. said. Yes, um, and I, I I was going to ask you at some point, sometimes I forget, but I was going to ask you both if your families thought you were crazy for, uh, for, for approaching this work, but you're so well-spoken, <laughs> I doubt they could. I mean, you'd make great arguments. <laughs> oh, um, my family... I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of detached from my family. Unfortunately, they don't really follow me. But my family is is far away now. I, I've been living in Italy for many years, and, and they are all in Norway and Sweden. Mm. So maybe that's also a problem. I, I can't see them, you know, mm. face to face. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's it's families you know families are uh, we yeah we all have families but uh, to to divide families are probably the most difficult people to convince because they, they have always seen you as you know I mean, I, I've never been a scientist you know I mean, I've been accredited or I, I've never had any so I Accredited with any academic credentials, you know. Mm. So the families will always look upon you like, oh, you're Simon, you were the little kid that came here in the summer because uh, I've always, I've only ever been uh, visiting my homeland in the summer. <laughs> so they, they know little about me. 
Summer Sorry. Simon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they, we have a similar saying around here, you know, your parents wiped your butt for you, so, you know, they never quite can get that image out of their mind, you know? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> but anyways, wow, this has been really groundbreaking stuff. Like I said, you guys have really done a great service to us in this alternative community. Uh, hopefully we'll dispel some arguments and, and help, uh, you know, bury that disinformation that's been bogging us down on both sides. Cause we, we've, we see now that there is an alternative to uh, the bickering of the heliocentric versus the, the flat and, and all of that nonsense. So, Thank you both. Please, listeners, go to tycos.space and and support their work however you can. I hope there's a, a way for people to donate or or contribute somehow. Is is that set up yet? Yes, we have a, a, a donut donate section in the book. Excellent. It's not very well, uh, but there there is a, a section there. Please donate. Yeah. So yeah. and 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 please do. Uh, it every every penny helps, and uh, in um, some time we will have a, a hard copy uh, of of this book available as well. Mm. Uh, there is a first edition of the the Tycho's book, but this one, the second edition, will really be something because uh, it's you know the the research that Simon has done has accelerated enormously. Uh, so so it's uh, yeah. The second the second edition should be ready by Christmas. <laughs> oh Wonderful. wow! Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So, that would that would be a Christmas present. <laughs> well, so yeah. So thank you so much, Mark and Yasmin, as you as you were into. Uh, and I mean, truth will prevail. It always does. Absolutely. It just it's just a matter of time. So yeah. Well said. Yes. Well said, Simon Patrick. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, folks, let me take a quick moment to tell you about a friend of the show. They are Trumi Nootropics, and they've got a bunch of blends, gummy blends, with different mushrooms. They sent me a package. I got to try the Boost and the Focus. Boost has cordyceps. The Focus has lion's mane. I also took their Sleep Gummies, which have a combination of reishi and melatonin which definitely helped me in a good night's rest i've been chomping on the focus over the past week working on the podcast and it's great i love it i think something's happening you can get in the zone while staying all natural the focus offers cognitive support improved memory neuroprotective properties and immune system support and it tastes good i like it over to Trumi. Check them out. They're a friend of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. You can check them out at trumi.com or at trytrumi on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Don't go anywhere yet. We got a bunch of cool stuff to talk about. Mostly this Tycho.space model. I really think this is something because a lot of times, you know, flat earthers, they make a really good case for NASA being false and lying and I could understand the government lying to us, but when they start saying that, well, they're lying because the Earth is flat, well, that's where you miss me. I've looked into it. I've listened to plenty of interviews with flat earthers. I've seen the evidence. And for whatever reason, this jives with me much more. So if you are a dedicated flat earther and this Tycosia model is not your thing, I understand. I still respect your position. I assume respect your observation and uh i don't know maybe this just adds more to your argument because there's a lot of things that the tycos model seems to show us let me give you a few examples this is from their chapter 31 the list of puzzles solved by the tycos so we, we covered a lot, but we didn't get to, to cover this. So why planets retrograde periodically the way they do? Current explanations for our planet's periodic and irregular retrograde motions are directly contradicted by the most basic laws of perspective. If the retrograde motions were caused by speed differentials between Earth and the planets, then the width of the duration of a given planet of a given planet's retrograde motion should increase in relation to the background stars as it transits closer to the earth as it transits further from the earth it should decrease instead the exact opposite is observed the tycho's provides geometrically rigorous and empirically supported demonstrations for these all important observed phenomena which have puzzled our world's astronomers for millennia. See chapter 5 and chapter 29 for more information. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on, folks. Let's see. Why our moon lines up with the same star every 27.3 days? If the Earth-Moon system truly hurtled at 107,226 kilometers around the sun as it's claimed by heliocentrists it would cover a 70 million kilometer orbital section within every 27.3 days yet the moon is observed to return facing a same given star every 27.3 days in the Tycho's This is no mystery since the Earth-Moon system moves at a snail's pace and only moves by a mere 1,049 kilometers every 27.3 days. And you may remember, as they described in this interview, the Earth seems to be moving in a linear direction. Remarkably, 27.3 days is also the time employed by the Sun to rotate around its own axis at that that's just another example here you can see chapter 13 of their book which is available for free online but i do encourage you to donate to simon and patrick if this work moves you 
And if you can, send them a message with that donation and let them know that you found them on this show. That'll definitely help me have them back on in the future. Although I don't think there should be any problem with that. They're very nice guys. Seem to want to join me again, which I appreciate because this is a lot of information. It's dense. And I got a lot on my reading list, so I'll admit I didn't have time to fully read this book. I'm more of a fan of reading in print rather than online here, but let's pick up another puzzle here that they have listed. Uh, the failure of the Michelson-Morley experiments. We are told that the numerous interferometer experiments which attempted to detect the supposed hypersonic motion of Earth all miserably failed and obtained null results, thus confirming Einstein's theories. However, at a closer scrutiny, the non-null velocities recorded by most of these experiments, particularly those of Dayton Miller, can be shown to support Earth's 1.6 kilometer per hour orbital speed as proposed by the Tychos. So let me just say that in plain English. The Earth rotates at 1.6 kilometers per hour. Moreover, Michelson is even quoted as saying that he thought of the possibility that the solar system as a whole might have moved in the opposite direction to the Earth. This is, of course, precisely what Earth does in the Tycho's model. It slowly moves in the opposite direction of all of its family members in the solar system. See chapter 24. And I am definitely going to have to see chapter 24 because I don't think they talked much about that aspect of it. During this interview, if they did, it's been a few days and I do not remember. Let's see, 24, the mysterious 137 number demystified. In the Tychos, for every diurnal rotation of the Earth, the Sun moves by a distance corresponding to 1 137th of the circumference of the Earth's PVP orbit. Orbit. This peculiar one 137 ratio, aka the fine structure constant alpha, is one of the hottest topics debated among today's theoretical physicists since it appears to pervade the very structure of our universe, both at micro and macro levels. The Tychos shows that the sun might just play the role of the electron as it orbits at high speeds around the atom's nucleus, i.e. the Earth. Moreover, the observed minuscule variation of alpha reflects the daily motion of the Earth. Wow. See, and this is really incredible because when you read the Hindu, the Eastern interpretation of where we are in relation to the sun and the moon and the stars and all that, they relay similar information about the sun being sort of like an electron around the earth and you know of course before the invention of microscopes we didn't have those terms for it but they've been talking about these concepts for a very long time hence the Kabbalion as above so below and all the other principles that comprise the seven hermetic principles so that's that folks 
A lot of information here on book.tycos.space. Go to tycos.space to find both the book and the model. You can also go to tycos.info to find more info on Simon and the printed version of the show or <laughs> of the book, which I think is available or will be available soon. So uh, if you're like me and you want a copy of everything, uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm going to get a copy from my library. And this also seems to gel with the electromagnetic universe theory, or the electric universe theory, which I think was one of my favorite topics that we covered in the first hundred episodes of the show. We had Ari Aslin on the show to talk about it. And I know there are probably other uh, experts, better experts to talk about that stuff. And now that the show has grown a bit, maybe we have the, the reach to do so. So, uh, suggest anyone you can, I'm going to reach out to someone like wall Thornhill, uh, because I have seen him interviewed before and I know, uh, he's an expert on that topic because I have one of his books titled the electric universe. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. I trust me, folks. I think NASA's lying. I'm glad that Simon and Patrick are not afraid to say that. And that's the weird thing about being in this podcast community: is anytime you talk about space, you run the risk of comments like "Oh, space is fake," which I don't think that you really mean that space is fake when you're saying that. I think what you mean is space is not accessible to human beings, which. I agree with and I think Patrick and Simon agree with that as well so we're all in agreement whether or not we think the earth is a disc a plate a ball a cube or whatever the fuck else people will imagine in the future we can agree that the sun and the earth are not moving at such high speeds I mean number 13 or what was it number Puzzle number, sorry, which was the first one that I read? Oh yeah, puzzle number 13 in chapter 31. I'll read it again. If the Earth-Moon system truly hurtled at 107... 107,226 kilometers per hour around the sun, as claimed by heliocentrists, it would cover a 70 million kilometer orbital section every 27.3 days. Think about that, folks. That's crazy. Yet the moon is observed to return facing a same given star every 27.3 days. Wow. So... Incredible stuff here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Please support the show by going to Patreon, by going to Rockfin. Of course, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you would most likely want to watch that, watch this episode there first because of the visual aspect of today's show. But if you listened along, I think you could get the gist of it. I used to do the same thing. I prefer audio, but anyways, support me on Patreon, folks. Can't say that enough. Can't stress that enough. Uh, We have bonus content, the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue. We just did a Patreon episode not too recently 
or Illuminati confirm where I yelled at Juan and Chris all about the Tycos model. You could tell that was the same day that I interviewed Patrick and Simon or the day after. So if you're fresh off this conversation, that would be a good place to start on the Patreon. Send me a one-time donation, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal. It's all listed in the episode description. Big shout out to Tao Shu who created the new my family thinks I'm crazy. Rap outro song. Uh, I have plans to switch up the intro. We might, we might switch up the intro. Um, I don't know if I'll replace it with a rap song. I don't know if I'll replace it with any song. I think I'm gonna put all of the custom music at the back of the episode, and we're gonna just roll right into the episode with the intros. But I'm not going to change anything until episode 250 because I like milestones. So it's also easier for me to remember (laughs) things that way. So anyways, thank you folks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. You could support me, like I said, with the one-time donation. We also have merch available. There's all kinds of cool stuff in the Kofi store. You can also support me by signing up for a Synchro Wisdom Dialogue. That link is in the description. You do that through the Kofi store. Um, Esoteric America is another podcast I do. Your Handbook for the Apocalypse with Michael Wan. You can find that on the Susquehanna Alchemy feed. Him and I just put out another episode. Safe travels to Mr. Wan. He is down south right now uh, for the holidays, so maybe we'll talk this week and put out another episode before thanksgiving uh as for this show there'll be another episode out before thanksgiving and maybe even a special bonus thanksgiving episode so stay tuned comment like and subscribe give us a five stars anything less than five stars really isn't helpful i I know you guys are trying to be all honest and whatever but just give me five stars or don't give me anything at all, really. I mean, because the five stars helps the algorithm. Anything less hurts it. So whatever. No big deal. I know the show's growing and I appreciate all of you who support. Thank you for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Yeah. MFTIC. It's all a I gotta know the truth, don't you hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety It's no measure for help To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals Dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war Of the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes Of a copy of a human body DNA fractal The universe within me Epiphanies of science Is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know The power of the mantra Repeating mad lies Till it has an effect on you Repetitive messaging And big pharma injections Tricking the population With holographic projections We see through it and the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey I embark with the squad Keep spitting that truth like Mark on the pod I gotta know the truth, don't you hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out 
depression, anxiety It's no measure for help to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade Set up.